Welcome to Writers Talking, the podcast where we take writers and readers behind the scenes, sharing the stories within the stories. No scripts, no filters, and no holds barred as we talk about what really happens for writers as they write, edit, publish, and promote their work. Hi, I'm Anjanette Fennell, agent, editor, and writerly mentor who's worked with hundreds of writers to break through their creative challenges to uncover the stories they feel compelled to share. Now, let's get talking. Nina D. Campbell is passionate about words and women's stories. She studied theater and literature at university, where she's held the position of women's officer alongside notable South Australian feminist Natasha Stott Despoja and Annabelle Crabb. As a professional writer for the Australian government, Nina wrote ministerial speeches, briefings, policy papers, and communications materials before a midlife health challenge reminded her that life was for living, not just earning a living. Having left the paid workforce, Nina now writes fiction full-time. Together with her partner Bruce and their spirited Jack Russell Terrier Molly, she lives nestled between a world-class wine region and the sparkling sea in South Australia. Nina's debut novel, Daughters of Eve, is described as an unputdownable feminist revenge thriller. It was included in the Sydney Morning Herald's list of books to look out for in 2022, and Marie Claire's top 10 reads upon its release. Emma Gray is a novelist, feature writer, photographer, professional speaker, and accountability coach. She's been writing fiction since she first fell for Anne of Green Gables at 14, and is the author of the YA novels Unrequited and Tilly Maguire in the Royal Wedding Mess, as well as I Don't Have Time, co-authored with Audrey Thomas, and the parenting memoir Wits End Before Breakfast, Confessions of a Working Mum. She wrote her first adult novel, The Last Love Note, in the wake of her husband's death. It's a fictional tribute to their love, an attempt to articulate the magnitude of her loss, and a life-affirming commitment to hope. Emma lives just outside Canberra, where her world centers on her two adult daughters, young son, loved stepchildren and step-grandchildren, writing, photography, and endlessly chasing the Aurora Australis. So I'm so excited to talk about something that I will say I've done a lot, but I wouldn't consider myself an expert on this. And we're going to talk a little bit about how an author may try to career plan, whatever that looks like, right? We were having this sort of conversation and, and maybe for some writers and M, you can share what was the motivation for this, but you get to a certain place and maybe you start to feel that things are moving a little bit, but you don't want everything to just be hit and miss. And uh, maybe somebody responds or somebody doesn't. And You don't want to stay necessarily, although this isn't a bad thing and it's actually one of the ways you can go, but you don't want to do a day job forever. How do you plan your career as an author? And we'll maybe look at different ways, like different options. So some that do include a day job or some that include retirement or whatever. But Em, what what was it for you that brought that up that made you think that? I think why... There's a certain element of spontaneity that I love and it feels all creative and I love the idea that I have really no idea what projects I might be working on next year or the year after, you know, I've got all these ideas, um, who knows which way it's going to go. And then, and I love it when opportunities sort of just pop up and you latch onto them and all of that. But then I started to feel like it's all becoming a bit unwieldy. <laughs> and, mm. and the reason this came up specifically this week was that I was unexpectedly gifted 
a travel writing course with the Australian Writers' Centre. And I thought, and, I, and, you know, that hadn't really been on my radar as a thing. And then suddenly I thought, oh, I could do that. In fact, I am a photographer as well as a writer. So that sort of makes a lot of sense. And so I latched on to that. And then I, and I do a bit of property journalism and I write a lot in my business that I have with Audrey Thomas and then I write fiction and I do copywriting for other businesses and so you, you know there's just all these so I make a living as a writer but it's so patchy and there's a part of me that really loves that uh, I love the variety I think it's really fun but also I'm thinking perhaps if I just had a, a way of planning even the next year um, <laughs> it might I might be able to just get a bit more organised, I think particularly in terms of things like freelance writing, mm -hmm. articles, and, you know, where I could, what articles I could write. I don't even have a list of potential articles right. that I could write, that kind of thing. That so that, that, that's where it came from. Okay. Well, I like that. I like, number one, that you were so honest in talking about how you like the spontaneity. And let's be real that really aligns itself with this whole concept of what a creative life looks like. A creative life looks like I just go where the wind blows me and, and I, it's all inspiration and the muse and, and um, feast or famine. I mean, look, that can be fun for a, a trope or a television series or a movie, but living it is not so pleasant. Right. <laughs> and I like that all of the things that feel patchy. And so that was interesting that you use that word too, because you have patched together a writerly life. Mm. But, but the thing that jumped out when you were talking about it is it feels like it's outside of your control and, yeah. and that you just have to wait for things to come to you, which they do. But magical thinking doesn't always feel magic. It feels mm. stressful. Scary. <laughs> right. Very scary. So you already mentioned some things that you could, that I could see that you could use in there when it comes to that. And that it sounds like you do like to have that variety of both nonfiction and or topical stuff, which you would get with both your, your business as well as freelancing work uh, and maybe travel writing, but also you have the space to do the fiction. I would say from a publisher's perspective, they would like to make sure that you have the space and enough planning to know what next novel you could write, giving yourself a little bit of wiggle room, which I know that you have. And we've had discussions on the podcast before about ideas, having multiple ideas so that one can sort of shift itself forward. And when you're working with a publisher and the, the relationship is going really well, they sometimes want to choose. I will save for another time, whether I think that's the greatest thing or not, <laughs> it's not as it's not as clear as black and white. But I will say that's a different conversation. But they would like to because a lot of publishers would like to know, hey, they're going to be publishing a book a year. Some writers are a little bit faster and they might get more than one book a year. But you've described what we would call maybe something like a patchwork mm. of filling I mean life with what you like. Yes. I mean, ideally, I would love to write a book a year, a novel a year. Mm -hmm. That's sort of always been the goal. But, you know, I think most writers are in a sort of in-between phase where they need to generate income in, from other other places yeah. to put food on the table while they're building up to having that kind of a career. 
Uh, we, yeah, I would agree with that. I think I've had conversations with um, quite a few debut authors, but also some longer term authors about the earning capacity of publishing as your only income, even through traditional publishing. And there are some authors, I think, who make a good career, a good income from their from their writing, but it's patchy. To start with, you, you know, you get your advance, it's broken up sometimes into two, three or four payments. So, and advances, good advances tend to be around $10,000. So if you think about it, it takes a year to get a book published, your first payment is $10,000 spread out over a year. That's not going to put a lot of food on the table. It's not paying a mortgage. It's not putting, you know, paying your rent, especially in in this economy. And then once the book is published, your earning capacity is completely unpredictable. So it's whether the book catches fire, whether it gets attention in the media. So you're in this situation where the closest I've heard, because I think writers don't tend to share a lot about their income potential, but somebody said to me around $25,000 per book is a pretty fair standard for most writers in Australia. So there are some um, best sellers that do much better than that. And there are some very poor sellers who do less than that. But if you're thinking about making your only income uh, writing one book a year, you're looking at, you know, and that $25,000 includes that $10,000 advance that you took a year to earn. So, you know, even if you got into that regular book a year, initially, you would be looking at that kind of very, very subsistence income. And from there, it will grow. I mean, if you, if you're writing a book a year, your audience will grow, you will grow your income, but getting through those early years to the point where you've got enough of a following, I think can be really hard. And people, even people who've got really, really good careers. So I noticed the other day, the amazing Kelly Rimmer, whose books have huge followings and they are, you know, she's an amazing writer. She just recently bought the Orange Bookshop, mm. um, the Collins Bookshop up there. And it's like, that's a great way to combine your love of books and writing yeah. and something that will actually put food on the table, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, another tough sort of thing sometimes when we talk about independent book selling, but I think it's really important. Well, a couple of things, and you did mention eventually, some of the numbers that we're talking about are specific to Australia and Australia right now. Yeah. We often, and what you also pointed out is really important as well. It's hard because numbers are not necessarily always shared and it can be difficult because we don't talk a lot about money. So your advance and or earning out your advance or how it's split and who's bought it and selling uh, rights in other territories, all of those numbers aren't necessarily, well, not necessarily, are not something you can count on because you don't know. You're not in control. As an author, you are very much at the whim of the market. And even with an agent, they can't guarantee you a thing. They can help you negotiate once you get an offer, but it's all dependent on the publishers themselves and how certain genres have been selling and all of that. So understanding number one, that it is important to think about diversifying. And what we were also talking about is novel writing primarily. Nonfiction writing is its own challenge. (laughs) But similarly, even if you were writing one nonfiction book and one fiction book a year, we're not talking large numbers unless number one, you already have a massive platform and or you've got a lot of marketing dollars behind you. But still, numbers, they can be challenging. And what I would love to make sure that we focus on today is the stuff that we do control 
a little bit more, which are our choices about where we're going to spend our time and energy. Now, it's really interesting, Emma, talking about numbers, I'm going to ask you to come up with on the spot, maybe percentages, but I'm curious about, so right now, would we include sort of the real estate stuff? Is that freelance? It's somebody contracting to somebody else? It's very interesting. A friend posted about a year ago, a friend posted on Facebook that she knew this guy who was looking for somebody to write maybe one or two short real estate profiles. Not the not the ones that you read when you go and buy a house, but the ones that are then, you know, published on the news website. Maybe one or two a week, fairly regular. And I thought, well, I've never done that it's not a particular interest of mine, but the idea of, you know, I obviously can write. So I thought I can, you know, surely I can write things. And it's been a learning curve, but it has been sort of regular income that I can kind of rely on. It's not a contract, but it is a regular gig. And so that just has taken a little bit of pressure off, which has been really good. It's not my dream job, but you know, I can do it. So yeah, well, and the words have to get out there. So yeah. that's the other thing to consider, you know, somebody's writing them, somebody's mm. writing these things, and you can make money doing it. Does it drain a lot of your creativity? Or is it something that's no. sort of like cost neutral? When it no, comes? I've become, uh, I have a, you know, brief interview with an agent usually, and then, you know, it can take me a couple of hours, two or three hours to, to write a week. So it's not it doesn't take a lot of my time or creativity, really, I don't okay. think. So, but it, it took more at first when I first started. Mm. But what I'm thinking now is that perhaps, I mean, the other way to look at all of this would be to start with how much do I need to earn yep. in a year? And then what could that look like? And where would I, where would I focus? Because sometimes I think when we are sort of in a really freelancey kind of life, it's all a bit hit and miss and not planned and then you get bills and then you think, where am I, where will that come from? And, you know, you, you, you kind of haven't, um, haven't got it all mapped out. So that's where I'm yeah. thinking that for next year, I really would like to have a much clearer idea of the various income stream and yeah. what they might look like. And then, you know, following on from what Nina said, I feel I've, I've always treated income from fiction, income from novels as kind of a bonus that I don't really rely on (laughs) because of exactly what you've said. It's unpredictable. And I don't want to feel pressure associated with that work because that's what I love. That's my first love. You know, I would rather just have that as a nice um, extra on top. Mm. I would love to change that obviously further into my career so that I you know, it became my primary thing that I could rely on. But that's interesting. If you're doing planning, so that just to, to bring it back to that, if you are planning, say, for even quarter one, and I can't believe I'm using terminology like this because it's this not me, but I, I'm, I'm wearing that hat. If you were planning quarter one or even just the first half of the year, creating your plan about those or with those things that you do have some control, knowing in freelance, so you could count the real estate, you could reach out to that person and others or put a call out on Facebook saying, look, I'm doing this. I'm filling in my schedule for X. If anyone has a need for this kind of copywriter, you know, I'm open to introductions, blah, blah, blah. That's one way to do it with freelancing. And I, we haven't had one of these episodes, so I should go and maybe we'll have another one talking to copywriters who do more freelance work articles uh, and that they don't necessarily have a column yet. But my experience working 
or chatting with those people has been, it can still be feeling like patchy if they leave it up to that thing you were talking about early on, Emma, which is waiting and it will, it will come to me and then an idea. And with freelance, it occurred to me that for you, you could look at a calendar over a certain number of months. And we've got things like national or international days. That's one thing. We've got holidays that happen. And the goal would be to write things or prep a potential article to magazines that eventually you'll have to do a bit of research and figure out who their readership is and who would like what. All of this does take time, by the way. But figuring out what article could only you write that is related to that national holiday, whatever, knowing that, by the way, magazines more so than weekly papers have a lead time. So you're wanting to approach them about articles that you could pitch. You can prep it a little bit beforehand if you haven't written the whole thing, but you could also write a whole thing if you know this magazine or this newspaper takes articles of this length approximately and you prep it so that whatever you're writing is relevant to their readership at a certain time of the year. And they are more likely to say yes, if you are filling a gap that they need. I don't know if we talk about, I talk about this all the time, but I can't recall if we talk about it on the podcast a lot, but what I've recognized again and again and again, is we live in a space where people feel busy and perhaps stressed and they'll take the path of least resistance So they may not be not getting back to you because they don't like you or they don't like your project or anything like that, but that they are simply potentially putting out fires. So if you're solving a problem for them, a freelance writer can be creating beautiful relationships with long-term partnerships with magazines and newspapers. So if you're thinking in terms of what do they need and then what can I create that is something only I could write? You've done this for, for example, her camera. But what we are talking about now is, okay, thinking about what are the things that I'm passionate about writing about, because that's still working with your own own muse, but you're not having to wait for it. You know, the things that you love, you could always write an extra article if something happens later. But for now in planning, what do I already love to communicate and what fits with what they will need at such and such a time of year? By the way, all of this could be really good when you're thinking about promoting a novel. Mm or a nonfiction book, right? You can use these same tools. So writing a list of those things. And one is what do I love writing about? And what is unique about me that I am happy to share about that might be right on the edge of that comfort zone, by the way, because it has to be something that not everybody is willing or able to talk about readily. And then what do these literary journals, by the way, also, you can look outside of Australia, especially for those of you listening who aren't in Australia. In the US, look at literary journals that pay people for essays and articles and say, what do they need? And then where are these things that are matching? And then what's my hook? If you're filling a need that they have, they're going to love you. And then that's when it becomes sort of more consistent, right? Mm -hmm. But it is something, it's like a garden. It does need tending over, over time. That's such great advice, Ange. And I think it's that I've never, it's never occurred to me to take the freelance writing side this seriously. I feel like there's this whole potential that I'm kind of just leaving on the table that I could be picking up and doing something with. Well, most Um, of us do that, by 
by the way. It's there. And we think, why didn't I think of that? Like, of course, but sometimes you have to be just a little outside yourself to get it. And also you're moving to a new place. You've written now and are being published in a genre to a market you've not published to before, at least with fiction. And so you're already stretching outside and that I'm really happy to hear that you're looking at taking some of that energy and saying, I'm going to be intentional Mm -hmm. about where I spend my time because I want it to look like this rather than say, I'll just be a little boat out in the ocean and hope some fish come in the boat, (laughs) which some probably will right? You see something on Facebook, you can respond to it. But wouldn't it be nice if we do a little bit more work where you're intentional? Because by the way, too, then you get to write about what you want to write about rather than there's nothing wrong with real estate. Uh, I mean, I've probably read some of your articles. I can't help myself, but click on those things. And I have a I'm not moving. Why am I reading this? I don't know. Uh, But does that make sense? Like we would love to just switch it so that you're making more of the writerly life Mm, that you're wanting. I think it's really interesting when you talk about that notion of intentionality because I think one of the things that I wasn't expecting and we've talked about this before on the podcast is that notion of the emotional toll that Mm. publishing a novel takes so you actually go into this zone where you think everything's just going to be sunshine roses and you know fluffy kittens and gorgeous puppies and everything's fabulous but there's all these challenges that you don't expect particularly emotional challenges and challenges to your confidence that you're learning this new skill of marketing and for you Emma you've kind of got a number of books under your belt. So you've gone through that marketing process before, but the challenge of learning to go into bookshops and talk to people, learning to, to you know, shamelessly tell people that you're an author and, <laughs> and share that kind of stuff. Those kind of emotional um, costs that you, that you bear, I think can impact your ability to be brave and intentional around your income and around setting those kind of things, those kind of intentions. So I think that's also something to keep in mind is that how much of emotional energy do you have to give to the various different parts yes. of your writerly life? That's yeah. such a good point because I know in the past I, when I have written opinion pieces that I've, you know, on topics that I felt very strongly about and a lot of personal reflection pieces about grief and things like that, it does just take so much out of you and part of I think not being organized with this is that I can't tell if in six months time I'm going to be sort of strong enough to put a piece out there about certain topic that I feel okay about today because then you know it generates comments and then you know it's just it can take a lot out of you but And I think maybe that's why in the past it's just happened when it's happened. But I think to remember that we're in control of our own Mm -hmm. narrative and um, I think that's where something like writing the real estate pieces, for example, is a bit safer and it's just there it's predictable it's not the dream but it's you know it's good for now and I think it's good to have a mix of things that aren't going to drain you too much yes alongside the ones that that do well and that sort of recognition and it's not saying I have to choose either or I like that you're saying Mm. this is what this does so I know if I'm putting this together although you did say something I'm just going to mention in a minute but if I'm putting this together I want to make sure that I'm going to bookend it with some it's not quite true to say mindless 
list, but some easier things, hmm. some things that, and what rolls off your tongue and is stress less for you is totally stressful for other people. So every writer recognizing their own current day boundaries, that segues into what you'd said. I feel comfortable writing this today, but maybe I won't later. How about, that's a brilliant way to think about it. And what we want is for you to be here now, being able to express what you're comfortable expressing now. We don't know the future anyway, right? Very much something that's top of mind. So if all you have is now, then I want every writer to feel like they are as fully as possible for them expressing themselves now to their current day comfort zone. I mean, it's, it's overused, but I just like to that edge of that comfort zone because it will be valuable. The other thing you said too, is it will generate comments. You know what? If I could spend more of my time saying, find a rock to go hide under when you put something out, please do it. Shut off notifications, unfollow certain things. It is okay to build yourself a soft little cave to go and retreat to. It's not a, I shouldn't have to, therefore I'll never put anything out that might make me want to go there. Everybody wants to go there at some point. It's still important for you to to put those things out. How do I know? Because you had the impetus to put them out. I couldn't make you write an article about anything that was traumatic to you. I couldn't make it happen. You would have to be, you would have to have a certain level of buy-in. That's the beauty of being an adult, right? We know this. And I step more fully into my stubbornness as I get older. <laughs> I embrace it. I'm happy for it. But that being true, it isn't, again, it's not an either or. I think you should do it because ultimately, you know, the importance, but what you are able to opt out on. And we talked about this in a previous episode when we were talking about interviews and how we can have a response and you don't have to engage. So putting out the work that you want to, and then finding a way where you don't engage in it, right. And finding people to surround you who will be that protective person. I'd heard of somebody talking about uh, getting somebody else to read their reviews. And they only, the person who was reading them would only mention if there was like a good thing that was valuable either way, whatever. So it felt like for that writer, the job of reading these reviews is getting done. And I will be told if there's anything I need to sort out, but otherwise it's silent. I don't need to hear because truthfully, that is literally not for you. It's not yours. You did your part and it's not about the conversation. This is something that's really important world over, right? You know, celebrities get comment, things commented on that it's just their existence and wearing an outfit or whatever. We really need to find ways of putting up those boundaries. When it comes to writing, sharing your message, or I'm going to call it your truth, sharing whatever lesson you've learned is so important. You shouldn't be put off of doing that because you have to consider how someone else will respond to it that you probably don't even know them in six months. Mm. The beauty is, like I said earlier, magazines, newspapers, a little less so, but definitely magazines and even literary journals are planning these things far in advance. So write it now. And then later they'll publish. You're like, oh yeah, I forgot I published that. You know, mm -hmm. who cares if you're getting paid, that's what you take <laughs> from it. 
<laughs> and you know that that people are out there that needed to read it, but you don't have to be part of an ongoing conversation about it. And that is the hard part, isn't it? Because it is that um, the conversation that continues after is really the cost that makes us feel, makes us silence ourselves. It, the fact that there is the whole troll world out there, in particular, particularly for women who are writing about things which make them feel vulnerable, there does seem to be still quite a large pile on kind of culture out there that you need to protect yourself from. Mm. and so yeah I kind of like that idea that a long lead time actually gives you time to detach from what you've written and not follow up and I remember somebody way 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 back in the early days of online publishing said never read below the line never read the comments because that's where people who want to play in that space people who want to have aggressive and uncomfortable conversations with each other they can all do that down there underneath and those of us who just don't want to actually climb into that muck hole can stay at the top and just speak our truth for those who need to hear it and for those who want to despise it they can do that on their own yeah look here's the other thing if you just think about it practically this way you're not being paid to go back and engage in the comments Mm. you're not being paid for ongoing conversation. If you were, I'd have different advice, but what you're actually paid for are the words you've put on the page for someone to read, to get attention, to get eyes to their website, their magazine, their, their newspaper, their journal, Mm -hmm. and let the rest of that happen because you don't control it anyway. You're not going to change anybody's mind, but you will have done what you needed to do for you, which is number one, get paid to have the writerly life you want. And number two, to get to say the thing that you felt passionate about sharing. So they these multiple steps. Was there any other advice? I know, Nina, you'd talked about talking to some other friends who maybe have a different writerly life and it maybe includes some self-publishing too, which is another portion of this, by the way, is you're not beholden to, especially if you use a pseudonym, you're not beholden to only go forward anymore with traditional publishing. So what does that look like? How can we build our, how can we build our career or plan our career if we're publishing some of these things ourselves yeah I had a I reached out and had a conversation last week with a couple of my self-published friends and one in particular was talking about the various different streams of income so she gets that from Joanna Penn and her her podcast specifically aimed at self-publishing that notion of multiple streams of income lots of different ways to generate income for her it includes so Beverly Oakley also runs courses so she runs face-to-face courses and she's about to start some online courses in the various areas that she has expertise in both self-publishing and also in writing and those have worked really well for her some authors I know have run retreats and writers workshops where people sort of go away, spend a week, and they get to draw on the expertise of traditionally published writer or a self-published writer to learn some of the tricks of the trades in that sort of more immersive state. And there was a really amazing crime writers conference just recently or writers retreat recently in Tasmania that did that, Mm. brought together a whole group of people and was a really immersive experience for writers. And a lot of writers I know went on that and found it to be really beneficial. I'm not sure if anyone made a stream of come out of that but I know (laughs) it is is hard sometimes with retreat but it's totally possible Mm. it is totally possible I just love that multiple streams so were there any other streams that Bev is working Uh, on there was also a lot of the work that we do when we do our promotions we go out into libraries and give talks and a lot of the time those talks are in conversation with another writer right and the writer who you're in conversation with will often get paid so they will actually have the opportunity to 
mates three, I think it's $350 from sitting down and having a conversation with you to make up for all of the prep that they've done. They've read your book, they've they've done some research, they've got questions and a, and a talk sort of prepared. So I think those kinds of interview worlds offer a lot of opportunity, but it's about sort of stepping up and saying, I'd like to be paid for that. Uh, here are the Australian Society of Author rates for having me on the stage. When you're promoting, you don't get to do that. But when you're when you're supporting someone who's promoting, you do. And I think also there's weird and quirky things that writers get asked to do. So recently I was approached and I've passed it on to Emma as well to do interviews of people in with people in the community on a fee-for-service basis that will be turned into various kinds of product, things like that. So I think there's lots of really little places where your writerly skills and your ability to draw out a story can be brought to bear without without sort of taking you away from the notion of story and the notion of connection with humanity, not real estate. And yes, you get that those sort of multiple streams happening. And I think there, yeah, there are a lot of different options open and being open to them, but also looking around for them, I think can be really helpful. Where are the places where you read stories that you are interested in? Can you reach out to those places and approach them and see if they're looking for an extra writer or an extra voice? I really like that. I was going to say, I know, at the beginning and said, and we, we won't keep this too long today, but I will say some of us are still going to have a day job, but if you are someone who is able to move to part-time and that helps you start to build this other side, that can be an option. It could be something where you plan on a retreat time, but instead of a retreat being for writing a novel or a full-length book, you could potentially use that retreat time to do this pre-planned, I'm going to sit a Side this time to write out these articles. Again, the goal being it isn't all it's fully funded writing all the time, or it's not. A lot of us have to take these small steps forward. So even as Emma has discussed, she's already doing this. And the beauty is now she's finding, I want to be more intentional. And now I can start to take these steps to move this certain direction. I want to say too, that there are plenty of people, and I know this even for online business women and men, they like to have their day job and they've gotten to a certain place with their day job where they can leave it and they've still got certain energy and it's fine for them to come and wake up early in the morning or stay up a little bit later. That's fine too. And that is part of planning a writerly career. The goal might be that you want something that's I can do this long-term and I can't handle feast or famine. Here's the truth. If you are always stressed about paying the bills, you will not have the energy to be creative. So it is important to find a place where there's a certain level of calm, at least enough to be able to surrender to your writing. I've had this conversation with Audrey, my business partner, and we've been working together for 10 years and we love our work. And the other day she said to me, I think it might've been after I got a book review that was good. And she said, oh, you know, you'll be going off and becoming an author full-time and, you know, we won't, you won't have time for this anymore. And I said, no. No, this is this is a huge, you know, this is the, the the main part of my work over the last decade. And I love working with her and I love working with our clients. And I can't imagine my life, I feel like there wouldn't be anywhere near enough structure if I if I removed that out of the picture. So I've got no intention of doing that. And I think even though it's our own business, it's still our, our sort of day job equivalent. I think it's really important to have that security and 
Also, I find the thing that that gives me that writing doesn't, except in, on occasions like this, when we're joining each other on a podcast, is that it's the personal connection with somebody else. Um, and we talk to each other all the time on the phone, talk about our work, plan everything. And, you know, when you're writing, you're pretty much on your own. So it gives me that personal connection that I need um, in order to have the energy to do any of the other stuff. I love that. I think that's a really interesting point that you've made as well, that notion of having that structure, because it's one of the things that I struggle with a lot is not having that structure so not having I'm somebody who rails against structure so but then when I don't have it I sort of I, I would comfortably lie on the couch and read for days on end and not actually write anything if I don't give myself a bit of a nudge every now and then so I think there is a lot of people sort of dream of the notion of I don't have to do anything else but write but what happens when all of that time opens up for you you only have a certain amount of energy for writing at any particular time so you might be somebody who can do 1200 words a day or you might be somebody who writes 50,000 words in three weeks but you can't just get up and write every day you have to have something else to do something else that energizes you and brings you back to the page and provides that kind of point of friction between your writerly life and the rest of your life I think otherwise yeah you know a creature with no spine just sort of <laughs> sits on the sits on the floor and doesn't really do very much so I think you're, you're so right Emma and it's something that I struggle with is finding those opportunities to provide structure that I don't need to actually rail against. Yeah. Well, and that feels good and feeds mm. that creative side. We mm. always think a hermit is not actually going to be able to write really compelling stories over time. Presumably they've got enough stories floating in from whatever they had to experience before, but ultimately it's our interactions within our world that help us come up with new things that we need to express, that we need to share. We could keep going. I think it's definitely a conversation we should continue to have and maybe we'll have an update uh in the new year that would be great actually Emma, and mm. see where is she now how is <laughs> how are things going with with planning but certainly any listeners if you have advice or tips or other questions that you'd love for us to address about how do i create more of this writerly life and make it one where i feel like i'm getting the bills paid but i'm also being creative but i also feel good right you have to be feeling fairly okay on a consistent basis to be able to give yourself over to that creativity. But otherwise, thank you both so much, Nina and Emma, for coming on today's episode. And I'll see you both again for another. Thank you. Thanks, Angie. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Writers Talking. Join us next time for more Writers in Conversation as we delve into the writer's process, their passions, and a little bit about their books. Don't forget to subscribe on your fave podcast player and follow us on Instagram at writers underscore talking underscore podcast.